You know, I spent the last couple of days down at uh, Louisiana State Prison in Angola. I got back this afternoon. And when I go down and I teach all day, but I preach at different places throughout the prison in the evenings. And so it's always uh, kind of a struggle trying to figure out what I should preach about or talk about uh, when I go around in the evenings. And something I discovered a number of years ago was that to a bunch of people who are locked up, uh, who have a lot of things not going well for them, the last thing they really need is to have somebody come in and really hammer them. What they really need is somebody who will come in and encourage them. Well, I got to thinking that uh, you're not much different. Neither am I. In fact, the men at Angola Prison often say, we are freer in many respects than the people outside this wall. And the reason they say that is because they know that many people outside the wall don't know who Jesus is as their Lord and Savior. We talked a little bit about being content during Christmas time. And we know that sometimes it's kind of hard to be content. And one of the things that one of the men told me, I think it was something I might have even said here in church last week. He said, Doc, you know, even if there's nothing under the tree for me, I still have everything I need. I have Jesus. I got nothing to worry about. He said, I am perfectly content. I don't know if you read Peanuts cartoons. I did for many years. And and what I remember was Charlie Brown and Linus were sitting talking one day. Charlie said to Linus, I worry about school a lot. And then he thought a while longer and he said, I worry about worrying so much about school. And he sat there for a while and he finally concluded, my anxieties have anxieties. Well, we all have anxieties. There's no doubt about it. People worry about their jobs or lack of jobs. They worry about money or lack of money. They worry about their marriages. They worry about their children or their grandchildren. They worry about paying their bills. They worry about their investments. They worry about their retirement. They worry about their health. They sometimes even worry about their relationship with God. Now, it would be really nice if we could just kind of wave a magic wand and take everybody's worries away. Now, you'd think they could come up with one of those because there is a pill and a salve and a powder or a lotion or a bandage, it seems, for almost every problem there is. I mean, we've got Alcoholics Anonymous, we've got Gamblers Anonymous, we've got Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, you, you know, even at the bottom of every puzzle, there's a solution. And many people are led to believe that they're not supposed to experience any discomfort and sometimes wonder why God allows them to sit in the midst of discomfort. In fact, sometimes when people become Christians, they're led to believe that anything that causes them to be uncomfortable will somehow just go away. Yet it doesn't always happen that way because we're still left with our worries. We still have doubt, we still have conflicts, and at times the statement reaches the lips of almost every struggling Christian, I have no right to even call myself a Christian. 
Why, if I were really a Christian, I wouldn't be so filled with fear and doubt and worry. And I suggest to you, if you've never said that, maybe you've really never given much thought to life. I'll admit to saying that at different times. That I, I kind of wonder. I mean, sometimes I, I have so much doubt and so much worry, it makes me wonder, you know, where my faith really lies. You know, I wonder, you know, are we really unusual people if we're like this? I mean, where is the Christian, for example, that does not sin? I mean, where is the believer who doesn't have some form of discomfort? I mean, where is the individual Christian who doesn't have some anxiety or some stress or some tension? I tell you, he's nowhere to be found because there is no such person. Uh, believers in Christ, Christ's followers, should know that they live in an uncomfortable world. That's why I'm here tonight to share some good news. Did you catch what Paul said before? He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I think it's kind of interesting that he doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord. He's got to add that word always. In other words, no matter what the circumstances may be. You know, and then in case they didn't catch it the first time, he says, I'm going to say it one more time. Rejoice. I get a kick out of being at worship down at Angola. Now, you would think that guys that are locked up, and many of you know the average sentence down there is 88 years. Most of these guys are never getting out of this place. They're going to die there. But you've never seen such a happy group of people in worship. They don't look like they were baptized in vinegar. I mean, these guys, actually, I made a comment in class the other day. I said, you know, if you read Psalm 100, it talks about how they used to sing these songs on the way to church. I said, wouldn't it be cool tonight, as you were coming down the walk, and you're headed to the main prison chapel, that as you came down the walk, before you even got to the gate that leads to the chapel, that you'd all start singing some Christian song of some kind. Maybe a hymn verse, maybe a praise melody, or whatever. You know, what do you think that would be like? And I had about 50 or 60 guys in class say, we can do that. And that night as I was coming back through the main gate, here comes 50. When they saw me, they started cranking out some music. And they were singing as they entered worship. And, and these guys were just happy the whole time. And I was watching, you know, a 20 voice men's choir in front. You know, all of them happy. Now, some people would call them happy clappy because they were clapping and having a good time. And you know what's contagious? I mean, I just sat there with a huge grin on my face, watching these guys sing. Now, you know, when, even when I got up to say, let's, let's take a look at God's Word tonight, you know, they were all grabbing their Bibles and grabbing their papers, and they were getting their pencils and their pens, and they were all excited about this. Now, I don't remember the last time in a Lutheran church that when I got done preaching, everybody got up and clapped. But I can tell you it happened Monday night, it happened Tuesday night. I'm not advocating you stand up and clap. I'm just saying that the exuberance sometimes is missing. You know, it's like we should let our faces know about what's going on in our hearts. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, the funny thing is, where was Paul when he wrote this? Paul was in the most discomforting place a person could possibly be. He was in a place of sadness and depression and a place of frustration. 
He was on trial for his life with no hope of getting out. He was in prison when he wrote those words. And yet he said, rejoice. You know, that's the whole gospel message. That Jesus came down to earth on that very first Christmas in order to be your Savior, my Savior, the Savior of the whole world. And he is going to come again. Like some of those readings before, he's going to come down in the sky and he's going to take us back home so that we can be with him in heaven. I mean, that's the gospel message. And when you kind of latch on to that message, I'd suggest that you're ready to tackle any problem. You know, when you're worn down to a frazzle and you haven't had any spirituality in you, you can still rejoice. Why? Because Jesus still accepts you. Jesus still loves you. Jesus takes you right where you are. I think it's time we make it clear that if you were comfortable, you probably don't need a Savior. I mean, if you have it made, if everything in your life is fine and dandy, and you're at the top of the world tonight, you probably don't have much need for the Lord. I mean, in fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, I didn't come for those who don't need a Savior. I came for the lost sheep. You ever feel a little lost at times? He said, I came for the nervous sheep. I came for the worried sheep. I came for the uptight sheep. I came for those who were missing peace in their lives. Now, I don't know. Sometimes it's kind of hard to wrap our brain around this, but whatever your problem, the problem solver, Jesus, is bigger than that problem. What I read to you before in verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. My grandson, Josh, sent me something the other day. It just said that if God leads you to it, he'll lead you through it. And I know that I've seen before that, you know, whatever God brings, whatever God calls us to do, God supplies us with what we need. You know, whatever your fear, you just lay it in front of Jesus. Now, you need to understand something. Fear is sin. You ever think about that word fear? F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. I mean, most of what we're afraid of is foolishness. And what does the Bible say? Fear drives love away. Perfect love casts out fear. That's why we need a Savior. We need to pump as much Jesus and rejoicing into us to drive as much fear out of our lives as possible. God doesn't want to see us being a bunch of sad sacks, a bunch of sour faces. He doesn't want us to be helpless victims because of some perceived fear. He wants us to make progress. I mean, he knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the fear and the worry. They're bound to human heart and attitude. Uh, I mean, God loves you even with your worries. That's why Paul says twice, rejoice. I mean, that word joy. Now, I don't know what you think about it. Joy is not the same as happiness, by the way. In fact, I sometimes wonder when he tells me to be you know, joyful two times in a row, maybe I should go back and look up that word in the Greek language and see what joy means in the original Greek. And I did. You know what joy means in the original Greek? Joy. That's what it means. I mean, there's just no getting around it. 
I mean, I just want to spend a, 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 just a moment more on the conflict in our lives. But, you know, Jesus met conflict in this world from the very time he came into this world. Just think about that. We're, we're ready to celebrate Christmas. What happens? Shortly after he's born, Herod's out to kill him. I mean, his life never adjusted to this world. Jesus always marched to a different drummer. I mean, he was a displaced person in this world. I mean, this world didn't welcome him. Uh, this world made him uncomfortable. Now, I don't know about you, but since you've decided to follow Jesus, I'd suggest that you probably, too, have had some periods of, of friction and uh, conflict and discomfort. And like Paul, maybe from time to time, maybe you don't say it exactly this way, but Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, you know, who will save me from this? I mean, Paul even said, I'm the chief of sinners. When was the last time you looked in the mirror and said that? I'm the chief of sinners. I mean, when was the last time you said, man, God must love me, you know, and considering how bad a sinner I am. I mean, from this side of the struggle, it was, there's no exemption this side of the grave. Yet there's still contentment at Christmas. And I'd suggest to you that whatever contentment you have at Christmas isn't going to come from what's under the tree. It's not going to come from the people who may or may not be at your house. Now, that, that brings you a certain degree of human comfort. But most everything I've ever gotten under the tree doesn't last very long. I mean, I've given presents to my kids when they ripped that paper off and threw those ribbons away and pulled it out and looked at it and tossed it aside, played with the box. You know, and sometimes they play with it like crazy, but within a few days it's pushed to the side. But Jesus comes and says, at Christmas time, I'm bringing contentment. Now, there's another word for contentment. That word is peace. That's what I read before. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, you don't even begin to understand what this peace is like. Will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. Now, that's kind of interesting. He said the peace will keep our hearts. That's where we believe from. And it will guard our minds, that's where we think from, in Jesus. When we have Jesus and his peace, guess what? It's time to rejoice. And if you didn't catch it, by the way, again I say, rejoice. I want to read a little bit of a sermon from Martin Luther. He preached on this text during the Advent season in 1521. So this sermon is... Almost 500 years, almost 600 years old. The rejoicing of which Paul here speaks, a rejoicing where is no sin, no fear of death or hell, but rather a glad and all-powerful confidence in God and His kindness. Hence the expression, rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in silver or gold, not rejoice in eating or drinking, not rejoice in pleasure or mechanical chanting, not rejoice in strength or health, not rejoice in skill or wisdom, not rejoice in power and honor, not rejoice in friendship or favor, no, not in good works or even holiness, for these are deceptive joys, false joys, which never stir the depth of the heart. When they are present, we may well say the individual rejoices superficially and without a heart experience. To rejoice in the Lord... To trust, confide, glory, and have pride in the Lord as 
in a gracious Father, this is a joy which rejects all else but the Lord. Now, those are Luther's words, and I suppose we should use the Lutheran question now, so what does this mean? I mean, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? Well, it just means that God is still on the throne. He's still on the throne of your heart, my heart. He's still in command of everything. I spent two days teaching uh, about 60, 70 guys uh, using uh, part of a book that I just finished writing on the seven uh, principles of a spiritual life. And the very first principle that we spent a lot of time on was this. God is God. You are not. And we said, until you can get that one down, law two, three, four, five, six, seven are going to mean diddly. I mean, just think about that again. It means God is on the throne. You're not. In fact, when you can understand that God is God and you're not, you know what the first thing you can do? You can rip the big G off the front of your sweatshirt. You know, the one where you trotted around and thought you were God. I rejoice because of him. I rejoice because he's in charge. Believe me, you wouldn't want me to be in charge. And I wouldn't trust any of you to be in charge. I'm happy that God is in charge. I mean, Satan is held back by God's power. Satan cannot harm me. Luther said that Satan is God's lapdog. Now, I don't know much about dogs. I mean, if I were ever going to have a dog, I'd have an honest-to-goodness dog, you know, a big one. You know, the one that went, woof. You know, I wouldn't have one of those little, yip, yip kind. The kind of people I see in the mall carrying around with a little sweater and rhinestones on or tucked in their purse. And that, when I see that, that's how I picture Satan with God. God says Satan is just a, a little lap dog. He just, so much of a little ball of fur. See, God has a plan, too. God's carrying out this plan. I mean, Jesus is coming back, and I have no idea when it is. But you know something? I could care less. I could care less when it is. The reason is because I know I'm going to heaven. Uh, There's a future for me. There's a hope for me. Uh, There's a great life for me. And and when you know Jesus and you rejoice in Jesus, I mean, you already have a great life here. And it doesn't even begin to compare with the great life that's still to come. And and despite all of my frustrations and despite all of my, my tears and fears, I would not change places with the wealthiest or most influential people in this world. That's what happens when you know Jesus. I I would hope that you'd be able to say, you know where you come from. You you know why you're here. You know where you're going. I mean, that's contentment in the midst of a storm. See, anybody can rejoice in the middle of a storm. You can rejoice when your marriage hits troubled waters. You can rejoice when your children disappoint you. You can rejoice when you disappoint yourself. You can do it if you'll just do what? Start rejoicing in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're going to hear a word from the prophet. The prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 40 it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I shared that Bible passage in the class the other day, and one of the guys raised his hand. He says, Doc, i got something to say. You know, when you talk about we're going to soar like eagles, I remember something you always say, and that's that you can't soar like an eagle when you hang around with a bunch of turkeys. I mean, turkeys don't know how to fly. They just take up space and whatever. You want to soar. You want to soar. And finally, there are, there are four words or five words, depending upon which translation you're going to look at, I think that are very important. Uh, the Lord is near. That's in here, too. The Lord is near. Or the Lord is at hand. When I look at that, that, that means to me, he's coming, and he's coming soon. I don't know sometimes whether I would rather be dead and gone before Judgment Day or whether I'd like to just see this. And I have this great mental picture in my eye of just the, like this cloud just rolling back and like splitting wide open and, and like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of angels and blowing horns and playing electric guitars and saxophones and, I don't know, maybe an organ, I don't know, off on the side, Joanne. Uh, but, uh, you know, big angelic choirs, and, and here comes God, and here comes Jesus, and here comes the Spirit, and, man, all of a sudden there's sheep and goats all over the place. I think that would be absolutely cool, particularly if you're looking at it from the sheep side. I mean, what a day that will be. Jim Hill is a Christian songwriter, and he, in one of his songs he said, There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no more pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. What a glorious day that will be. So tonight on the first Wednesday of Advent, I say to you, my friends, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't catch it, rejoice. And to that, all of God's people said, Amen.